All right, now we're ready. Okay, so two weeks ago, we began studying the book of Ezra. Not everyone was here for, uh, for that first parak. The first parak was a little bit um, of an introduction. We also used a bit of an introduction to the book of Ezra. Um, again, if people have a book of Ezra that they want to bring in future classes. It, did the sheets make it around? There's, there's one sheet. Oh, here, Philippe, I think. So sorry. So one sheet just is, is just parak bet, and then the other sheet is a few sources that will be seen together. Are there two separate sheets? There are two separate sheets, yeah. yeah. Yes, there's one that's just the, 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 the quote from the book of Ezra itself, and then a few additional sources. So in the first, so again, just to review what we learned last time for those who were here two weeks ago and for those who are not here. So the book opens up with the King Koresh Cyrus, the King of Persia, where the Jewish people were living after they had uh, been exiled after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the base of Migdash. And um, we're now in the year approximately, again, uh, um, basically made destroyed 586 BCE. Am I getting my dates confused? Yes, that's right. So this is about 50 years after that, so 536 BCE. And so Koresh makes this big announcement. All the Jewish people, um, uh, he grants them permission to return to the land of Israel. He, again, he was uh, the head of the Persian Empire that had sort of swallowed up the Babylonian Empire. We saw last time that historically he did this with many people, that many people who had been forcibly moved to return to their original homeland. And he even gives them back um, uh, vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the base of Migdash and says everyone should help these people and they should return and return to their homeland and build, build their temple again. Okay, and that, that was Perak Aleph. And so now Perak Bet will begin the Jewish people actually returning to the land of Israel. Okay, now Perak Bet we will see is really um, a listing, a census of, uh, of the people who returned. Not a whole lot is gonna happen. It's just gonna say, these people returned with these numbers and so forth. So at first glance, maybe it's a parak that's not as interesting, but uh, we'll see, hopefully, if we sort of like dig into the numbers and we like analyzing like a census, like a, like a, like a, like, you know, uh, election results and sort of see it, it we'll see there is there are some interesting things why are there a lot more people from this group and fewer people from that group and uh, and so forth okay so that's what we'll be doing so uh, this evening these are the people that went that returned yes okay so let's begin pasuk alf i apologize i don't have the english translation this time ve'ela b'nei hamadina and these are the people of of the country ha'olim mishvi hagola who were returning from being captives of the exile. Asher Hegla Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel, the Nebuchadnezzar had exiled the Bavel to Bavel. The Yashuvu Li Yerushalayim Yehuda, and these people are now returning to Shalayim and the area around Yerushalayim, the area called Yehuda. Ish Li'iro, each person to his city. Okay, let's pause here for a second. So again, just to review. So again, the 10 tribes had been exiled hundred and something years before the first exile. And they went up to Assyria. And they, they sort of disappeared into history. So the Jewish people that had been exiled into Babylonia were primarily from the area around Yushalayim, the tribes of Yehuda and Binyamin primarily. So those are the people returning. And they will be returning Ishli Iro. It seems that when the Jewish people were exiled to Babylonia, so it's interesting. So whole communities were just like sort of picked up and forcibly moved. And chas uh, if you would imagine that happening now. So each community to some degree stayed together. 
so then when they were resettled in in Bavel, so there was uh, like the Brookline community in Bavel, and there was the Newton community in Bavel, and there was the Five Towns community in Bavel, you know, all these different little towns. And now it's 50 years later, so now it's their children and their grandchildren, but they still are these, these communities. They, maybe each little town had their own shul. There was the youngest of Brookline in Bavel, right? Because, uh, so, so these groups were still very much together. So now they're returning still as the, those groups and they plan on returning to, to those specific towns, to where they originally came from, Ishli Iro. Okay. Asher Ba'u, and they are coming, and now this is a list of the leaders of the time. Im, they're coming with Zerubavel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sraya, Re'eliah, Mordechai, Bilshan, Mispar, that's a, that's a name, Bigvai, Rechum, Ba'ana. Those are the, the main leaders. Mispar, Anshei, Am Yisrael, with a number of the Jewish people. And then we're going to see those numbers in a second. Now, who are those people? Now, these are interesting names. A lot of these are names that don't appear yet in Tanakh. And that's because now some of them are either Persian names or have influence from, from the country where these people uh, were born. Now, the first two are going to be major leaders, Zerubavel and Yeshua. So if you have a full Ezra in front of you, I don't have this puzzle copy. So in the beginning of Paragimel, Paragimel Pasuk Bet says, Vayakam Yeshua ben Yotzadak ve'achav ha-kohanim. So Yeshua, or Yehoshua, was a Kohen. We'll see he becomes the first Kohen Gadol when the Beis HaMikdash is rebuilt. Uzru Bavel ben, ben Shaltiel. And Zru Bavel, Vayivnu es Mizvach Elokei Yisrael. They will be the ones who will rebuild the altar for the first time. So Yeshua ben Yotzadak is the, Kohen, the first Kohen Gadol of the second if you, I don't know if people remember the, uh, the Haftorah for Shabbos Hanukkah, and it's also Haftorah for during the year, there's, in Zechariah, there's a prophecy of the menorah, he sees the menorah, and he asks the angel, what is that? So that was, it says, that was Yoshua. Um, he put his seal on the, on the oil, was that the same one? No, I don't, what, in what context are you talking about? For the about? menorah, for Hanukkah? No, yeah, no, no, that's going to be later, that's, no, that's, that's, that's going to be later. Okay, so Zerubavel and Yeshua, they are, very, they are dominant personalities. They're going to be coming up again again in Ezra and Echenia. The rest of the names don't really come up so much again. Now, one second, before we get to who these people are, who's not mentioned in this list? Ezra. Ezra, right? It's the book of Ezra. But right, Ezra, Ezra's not here yet. So we'll see that is because there were, there were um, you know, waves of people coming back from Bible. So Ezra was not, even though it's the book of Ezra, Ezra was not in the first wave. This is the first wave. So Ezra's not here yet, okay? So just sort of remembering that we're, this is, uh, Ezra's not here yet. Nehemiah, very, well, I'm going to get to that, just say very good, yeah. So Nehemiah, some people say, is going to be the more famous Nehemiah, like the second half of this book, Ezra Nehemiah. And some people say it was a different Nehemiah. And then Mordechai. So, so it's a question, is this the same Mordechai? So the, the famous Mordechai of Purim is living around this time. So Chazal understand that it is the same Mordechai. And uh, according to Chazal, so this would be after the, uh, 
the story of Purim happens, meaning uh, the Jewish people are saved and, uh, and so forth. And then Mordechai is assigned to go to Israel. Where's Esther? Does she die? Well, Esther, I think for sure, she, she didn't leave the palace, right? She, uh, she's actually, yeah. she had a son. Yeah, like, Daryavesh, I think, yeah, you might do it. What happened to him? I think he became, uh, according he to, ruler? he became the ruler, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Koresh, see now you're, I have to check all these things. I think the Koresh of Ezra is, the, is his son. So then Mordechai would have been a very, very old man by this point. He yeah, he would definitely have to be an old man. So, so Chazal say it's Mordechai, and they say Bilshan is not another name, but it's Mordechai Bilshan. That was his full name. And Bilshan comes from, you know, Chazal say he knew the 70 Lashon notes, he knew all the different languages. So that is one interpretation. But others understand this is a different Mordechai, um, and it was apparently a name at that time. And, and according to that, Bilshan would be a second person. Okay. Okay, so let's continue. Okay, so now we're going to have a list of, of names. Now we'll see that um, there are two kinds of listings. It seems that some people returned as families, like a clan, and it will say the whatever clan, 200 people. And some are returning as towns, that uh, 200 people of, of this town. Okay. So let's just read, we're not going to read every single one. Let's just read some of them. So these are first families. B'nai Parosh, so the descendants of Parosh, Alpayim Mea Shivim Ushnayim, one, excuse me, 2,172. B'nai Shafatya, Shlosh Shivim Ushnayim, the Shafatya family, 372. B'nai Arach, Shvameot Chamisha Vishivim, 775. B'nai Pachat Moab Livnei Yeshua and Yoav. So Pachat, Pachat means a ruler. So the, the families of Yeshua and Yoav who were, were the rulers of Moab. I mean, presumably at some point when Moab was a small country around Eretz Yisrael and Israel, when it was powerful, actually sort of to some degree ruled over the surrounding countries. So like their families were the governors uh, over Moab. So they had a certain number of people. If you skip to Pasuk, Tet, B'nai Zakai. So this is a name that seems to come back from Bavel. And so then we find even later, let's say, like in the Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai, who was, who was alive at the time of the destruction of the second base of Megdash. But again, you, just, you hear sort of where these names uh, were coming from. Okay, let's skip down to... General Please. Um, so, what is the purpose of listing all of these names? It's a good question. It's like in a lot of different parts of Tanakh. And I think that, I mean, with all these numbers and everything, but I feel like there has to be something that we have to be taking from this. So, so, so it's a very good question. So, some um, understand, because we're going to see the numbers, that many, if not most Jews, did not return. So some understand that they wanted to like uh, memorialize, I'm not sure if that's the right word, and sort of, you know, honor these people, like that these were the heroes that, that uh, yeah, that, that they returned when it was difficult. And so like, they deserve to get their name recorded forever. 
Does that, does that uh, satisfy or partially? Is it possible? I don't know if we mentioned this last week or if we're, I'm taking a class that was also recently studying Ezra. Um, yeah. Is that to establish the yichas of, of the people who came back, that they were... Um, That's going to be part of it because we're going to yeah. get to the people who were, were unsure of their, of yeah. their lineage. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can understand it, but if Torah is supposed to be applicable to all generations, how are we supposed to? Well, let's, well, again, I'm not sure if we're going to be, yeah, yeah, no, that's the question. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to derive a lesson from each yeah. family name, but well, let's see, let's try to get through sort of the whole parak, and I think we will derive lessons from sort of the big picture of the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm wondering why the, does the detail help establish the historicity? Of, that's part of it, um, yeah. You know, to say that, you know, if it were merely a story, that there wouldn't be so much detail, but all this detail, I mean, probably a very weak argument, but, but I, I've always wondered. I mean, it does add to the history. I mean, it does add to the real feel, like we're listing like families, last names, and 73 people returned, and uh, that definitely is true. Who's yes. the intended reader for this? Is this for like, was this written like colloquially for the time? Or is this like, you know, for posterity? Both, there? both. I mean, I, I maybe it was originally a list in some other context, I could imagine that. And then right. it was like, maybe originally, originally it was written down for some immediate purpose, you know. Um, uh, exactly, control. yeah, exactly, exactly. But then, but then, but, but then it was chosen to include for include posterity, right. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, these are all excellent points. Okay, let's skip to Chaf Aleph, just to give you a sense. These are where the cities begin to start. B'nai Beit Lechem, right? So, you know, the Beit Lechem community. Me'a Esrim Ushlosha, 123. Not big numbers. Right? Anshei Natofa, the people of Natofa. Chamishim Vishisha, 56. Anshe Anatot. Anatot, the Navi says that's where Yermiyahu was from. In the book of Yermiyahu, it talks about he's going back and forth from Anat. Meya Esri Mushmona. Okay, and, and some, some other. You have Beit El a little bit later on. Yericho a little bit later on. And, uh, and so forth. Okay. Why is it for the back forth between listing families to listing... Towns well, I was trying to go through this. Where, where do you see it goes back? I, I, it's primarily families and then towns, at least when I was, so, this uh, is my uh, observation, so it could, it could be uh, I'm wrong. That could be, I think that could be, a, just because it says B'nai. Oh, right. I'm not sure why he's jumping back from Anshay B'nai. I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure. Anshay sometimes has a connotation of distinguished people. I suppose B'nai is regular people, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily true in these, in these psukim. Um, okay, so one interesting thing I wanted to point out. So if you go to the second, if you have your second sheet. So just to point out how these family names continued, you know, over the 400 plus years of the second base Amigdash. So the top source is a Mishnah from Asacha Ta'anit. And the Mishnah there is listing these sort of days of mini holidays, at least when the base Amigdash stood. And the base of these mini holidays are, the Gemara explains, Based on Sukkim that we're going to learn later on the book of Nehemiah, that when they were rebuilding the second base of Migdash, so they, they didn't have enough stuff for everything. And apparently, one of the things that they were really low on was just firewood for the Mizbeach. I guess that was you know, hard, hard to get. 
they had animals, they had whatever else they needed, but they needed firewood. And a handful of families, you know, basically made major donations to provide that the base manager would always have the firewood. And it was such a big deal that um, they wanted to honor these families forever. So they declared certain days as, again, these many holidays to remember the great acts of these families. And on those days, descendants of those families would come to the base of Migdash and donate wood, which would be burned them as back. Now, at, by then, they didn't need the wood, but it was just a way of, you know, remembering what these families had done. So if you look at the mission, it says like this, Zman Atse Kohanim Vaha'am, the times of when wood would be donated by certain Kohen families and other families. Tisha, there are nine such days. So what are they? The Echad bin Nisan, on the first of Nisan, was devoted to the family of Bnei Arach ben Yehuda. So I believe we have that. So that's like in, 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 in Pasuk Hay, we don't necessarily know that it's Ben Yehuda, but most of these people are going to be Bnei Yehuda. But Pasuk Hay has Bnei Arach. So like the Bnei Arach family, they remained the Bnei Arach family. This is now about 400 or so years later, and they're still you know, bringing the wood on, the, on their day. And we have later in the mission of Bnei Parush ben Yehuda, I believe that's, that's the name that, that you see here. <laughs> B'nai San'a with a Samach is in the Mishnah. That's the family that you see here. B'nai Zatu. Almost all these families are uh, in the, the end of the third line. You see that B'nai Pachat Moab. Again, the, the Moab governor families, right? They're, uh, and they were, that's how they were still known, you know, towards the end of the second base of Migdash. Can I ask you a question, yes. please? Because uh, I think I, I, I thought of this before, and I think I might have figured out the answer. But the question is, if, as you said, the 10 tribes of the Northern Kingdom had previously been exiled and destroyed. And all that was really left were Yehuda and Benjamin. And this is who's coming back. Yeah. So all the Kahanim that were like in the base of Mikdash, like where did they come from? And my no, so the answer Kahan was yeah. that they were actually, they didn't have an ancestral heritage in the land of Israel. So they must've been like sort of scattered throughout or something. Yeah. And then they were just like that remnant also returned with the other. Yeah, but no, I think, you know, cause many Kohanim were centered around Yushalayim. Oh, so true. I don't, there were plenty of Kohanim left after the first 10 tribes were exiled. So they, we're gonna see in just a second actually, right. we're gonna have a listing of the Kohanim. They went to Bavel and, and they came back. So they, the Levium, that's a better question. We're gonna see yeah, them I mean, in a second. I'm a lady, so this right. is not our proudest moment, yeah. my, my family, but let, let's see what happens. Okay, so. Uh, Hakohanim. Okay, now we're going to list the Kohanim families. Now here, let's pay attention to the numbers. Okay, here the numbers are more important. B'nai Yedaya Lebet Yeshua. Okay, a certain family. Tisham Me'ot Shivim Ushlosha. 973. Okay, almost a thousand. B'nai Imer, another family name. Elef Chamishim Ushnaim. 1,052, so over a 1,000. B'nai Pashchor, Aleph, Matayim, Arba'im, Vishiva, 1,247. Okay, so we're well over 3,000 right now. B'nai Charim, Aleph, Vishiva, Asar, a little bit more than a 1,000. Okay, so there's over 4,000, like maybe close to 4,500 Kohanim returning. Okay. Halavim, now let's do the Levim. Yeshua v'kadmiel libnei hodavia shivim v'arba'a seventy-four. Hamishorim, the 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 levim that were devoted to singing, bnei asaf were descendants of asaf, uh, 
it's like Mizmor La Asaf, right? Right. So Asaf were, are the singing Levi families. Mea Esri Mushmona, 128. So we have 74 maybe general Levium, then 128 singers. Bnei Asharim, the families that stood guard at the gates, like Sha'ar. Bnei Shalom, Bnei Ater, Bnei Tamon, Bnei Akuv, Bnei Chatita, Bnei Shavai, those are their names. Hakol, all of those, Mea Shloshim Vitisha, 139. So if you add up the, so there are only three numbers there, 74, 128, 139. So not much more than 300, about maybe a little bit more, right? So we said there's, there's over 4,000 Kohanim coming back, and there's only about 300 Levium coming back. So there's 10 times as many Kohanim as Levium. Okay? Now, in a later wave, when Ezra is coming back, Ezra is going to lead another group back, and he says like this. This is in Parakhat. That Kabsem El Anahar, I gathered everyone together at the river. Vinachne Sham Yamim shall we camp there three days? Vavina Vaam, like Bina, I was investigating the group. Uba Kohanim and amongst the Kohanim. Umi Bnei Levi, Lomatsatisha. I couldn't find any Leviim. There were no Leviim. So he says, I, have to, I had to go and at least dig up some Leviim. So why are there so fewer Leviim than Kohanim. Okay. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're Levim. The main, the main jobs of the Levim were singing and, standing, and standing, standing at the gate. Yeah. So Shoharim yeah. means the gate, like is like from gates, like Shahar. Yeah. So how many those Good question. I'm not sure. We have to look that up. Because the Levim... But I don't know why it would be more than Kohanim, meaning... Uh, the answer is none, really. Yeah. It could have something to do with that. And you're just saying more Levine were exiled in the first ten in the first ten tribes, right? It's possible. I'm not sure. It could maybe that is part of the answer. Maybe that's part of the answer. But part of the answer is the as oh sorry, did you want to say have we ever done a census today of Kohan and Levine? I'm not sure. Kohanim, the Kohanim to Levium, right? So, um, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't, I don't th- it doesn't seem like that, right? Well, so what's about the numbers in the shul? <coughs> I don't know. I'm not deaf when you go out to uh, wash hands. I, think, I can tell you often at Hashanah and you don't have a Levium. There you have it. Conclusive evidence. Yeah. We always have a No, I know that at Maimonides, one of the Gabayim was a lady a couple of years ago said that there were very few Kohanim and lots of reviews. Yes, I don't know. So you can't, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You can't prove anything. Same thing. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Go, go to the, your other sheet now. So this is from, the second source is from Yechezkel. Yechezkel mm-hmm. was a Navi that went with the people from Eretz to Babel during one part of the exile and stayed there in Babel. So he says like this. Koamar Hashem, so says Hashem. Kol ben Nechar, Arel Leva, Arel Basar. So again, now he's prophesizing when the base of Migdash is destroyed, but he's talking about when the base of Migdash will be rebuilt. Okay? Any foreigner who is uncircumcised of his heart or of his flesh, he will not be allowed to come into my temple. Even uh, ben Nechar amongst Israel, 
presuming it means someone who's idolatrous, who's not, not faithful, and so forth. Ki'im halavi'im and the Levian, asher rachakume alai, who went away from me, bit'ot Yisrael asher ta'u me'alai, and they, you know, made the same mistakes of all of B'nai Yisrael, to follow the idols, that means, b'nasu avunam, and they were guilty. The Hayuba Mikdashi, they used to come to my Mikdash Levim. Mesharim Pekudot El Sharei Habayit. That's Sharei. They would stand at the gates. Mesharim at Habayit, and they would serve generally in the base of Mikdash. Hema Yishchatu at Haulav at Azevach. They would slaughter the Karbanos. You didn't need to necessarily have a coin to do the slaughtering. Other parts you did, but the slaughtering could be done even by Yisrael. Laam. The Hema Yamdu Lifneim Lesharsam, and they would stand there and serve. Yaan. But now that they have served the, the, the pagan idols, and they were for the Jewish people a stumbling block. It sounds like, the, you know, he's like, let me Levium. Once the Jewish people saw the Levium going to the temples in Bavel, so then everyone, everyone followed them. Therefore, I raise my hand against them, meaning I swear, so to speak, Hashem says, Nim Hashem. Vinasuavunam, they will they will bear their guilt. They will not approach me to serve me. my holy places and things. Again, they're gonna bear their guilt. Were they like decommissioned, basically? It sounds something like that. And at most, they'll just, I'll let them be guards, but they're not going to really be actively involved in any way. But the Kohanim Halavim, the Kohanim of the tribe of Levi, B'nai Tzadok, Asher Shamru et Mishmeret Mikdashi, B'ta'ot B'nai Yisrael Me'alai. They tried to protect my temple in B'nai Yisrael from, from again, the idolatry. They I will bring back to, to serve me. And it continues, yeah. Long ago, Hashem said he would bring back the circuit. Yeah. They were the ones who were the chief officials of the temple. Beat up you and got them to speak with you. You're asking, I don't even, yeah, they, they uh. I, I guess it was their cousins. Beat them up and threw them in prison and tormented him. Yeah, wow, you remember? Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. I don't know. Well, this is just Pashkor, it's just him. It's not, you know, it's not the whole family, but uh, yeah, I don't know. So, um, but coming back to the, the Psukim of Yechezkel, so it seems like the Kohanim, as opposed to the Levim, at that period, were just, they were just more committed, more faithful, you know. Uh, than the Levium. So I mean, it's not as surprising that they're gonna be, because again, it is hard. It was a challenge to see who would go back. So it seems like the Kohanim were the more committed ones, and so they're the ones that go back. And also to some degree, a little bit, they were, uh... can I talk or? or... Yeah, so um, Yaakov, uh, so the Kohanim were still part of the tribe of, uh, of Levi. You're asking, because the Pusik says, she's asking the Pusik, ha-Kohanim halavi'im. So it means the Kohanim, Kohanim are part of the tribe of Levi. They are from, from that, uh, 
from that tribe. So that, that's what it means. That's all it means. You know, there are a lot of, it seems like there are a lot of Kohen, high percentage Kohen. It seems almost like most of the people went back with Kohen. Compared, compared to Levium, yeah. So, so, you know, if all, if, if all the Kohen just took their places in the day for Mikdash, <clears throat> who was going to be earning money? No, well, we'll see. There are, pl there are plenty. There are plenty of Yisraelim. There are plenty of of of. Uh, they're just just relative to Levium. There, there are very few. Uh, there are very few Levium. Right. Yeah. So, how complete was the exile? I mean, when they went back, were there there were still indigenous Jews there? I mean, soon some of the Levies escaped deportation. A small amount. Yeah. 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 A small amount. I think not not many, but but a uh, small amount. We're going to come to that in just a little bit, also. Right. What's also kind of ironic here is. Which at least reminds me of another followers of Sadok, and I'm not sure if it's the same Sadok. Well, no, I don't think it is, but um, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who that Sadok is. Okay. Okay. Should we continue? Okay. Mem Gimel, and we're back in the Psukim. Okay. Ha Nitinim. Who are the Nitinim? So the Nitinim were a class of people that were part of the Jewish people, um, but they were servants, um, but devoted to working for the Beis HaMikdash. I mean, they, they didn't do the ritual service, but you know, the Beis HaMikdash just, uh, yeah, okay, something like that. If things broke, you know, uh, yeah, accountants maybe, whatever they, you know, they did or... Uh, there's actually, there's a, I think it's a Gemara where they talk about that the Kurdish Kurdishim had to be repaired. Yeah, if workers had to go in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if the Nitzanim would have done that, but, 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 no, but they might have. I'm not sure. So the Chazal understand that the original Nitzanim, Nitzanim means like Natan, like they were, they are given over. They are, you know, they're dedicated to. Um, so the original Nitzanim, where there's this story in the book of Yehoshua, the Givonim, that was a nation that's lied to the Jewish people to get them to uh, make a pact with them to not, you know, destroy their cities. Um, and they, and they, I believe, in the, it seems like, and they converted, they, to, I, I believe, to, to be Jewish. But then when Yehoshua realized that the whole thing was just a ruse and they were really lying about the whole thing, so it says it was already too late. He already swore that he wouldn't conquer them and destroy them. So uh, they were allowed to live, but uh, they were, you know, set aside to not uh, to be this class that would be servants for the Mishkan at the time. So it's their descendants, and presumably there could have been other people captured, other servants, you know, that uh, become incorporated in, the, in, in in some way into the class. But that's what these Nitinim are. So they're not necessarily there's there something in between. There's something in between. A Jewish person was not allowed to marry them. That is true. So they're sort of part of the Jewish people, but um, a Jewish person wouldn't be allowed to marry them. That is correct. So if you look at these names, we're not going to read all these names. Some of these names seem to be family names. Some of them seem to be maybe related to the work that they did because they're workers. So for example, in the top line, the third one, you have B'nai Tabaot. The, the people of the rings. So I don't know exactly which, but right, that they probably did something. No, I think it's more no, it's of- The things that hold the, the stage. Yeah, I'm not sure, but they had these rings in the base of Mikdash that um, to like, you insert that. Oh, no, no, I, I was thinking of 
to like oh. in, when they would shaft large animals oh. like that, like that would sort of like pens or things that would make, I don't, I'm not even, I'm not sure, but um, you know, that's how I was imagining it, but um, it could be something like that. Okay. And then the other, other, uh, there's a B'nai Bakbuk. I'm not sure if Bakbuk <laughs> meant, meant a uh, bottle, you know, back then, but um, that, that's a, uh, that's uh that's one of these people listed okay and then we'll just skip to the end pasuk nunchat it says b'nei hanetinim u'b'nei avdei shlomo again there was this class which they seem to be like sort of lower than the netinim the, the slaves the servants of shlomo that uh, it's based on sukkim alachim that uh, shlomo at some point you know again captures you know many area they become devoted to be you know, sort of servants for the base of Megdash or maybe for other royal purposes. And uh, so again, some of these, so the, it's interesting. I'm not sure if these people were forced to come back or again, they also within their identity also identified as being part of connecting to the Jewish people at least. And now they're coming back also. So of all these people, Shlosh Meot Tishim Ushnaim. So you have 392. Okay. So not, not a, not a big number, right? Uh, Okay. Is there a question? Any questions? Okay. Next pasuk nuntet. Ve'el. So now some more psukah, not just a list. Ve'el ha'olim mitel melech tel harsha kruvadan imer. And these are going to be the people returning from these cities in Bavel. Ve'lo yachlu lehagid beit avotam vizaram. And they could not say for sure who their ancestors were, im mi Yisrael heim, if they were Jewish at all. And again, as we'll see, intermarriage was a major problem. So uh, even in 50 years, you know, um, you know, people, there were, there, there were some people who they, they just really weren't sure. They weren't like sure. Like today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who are these people? B'nai Tlaya, it, it is, I mean, it's, experience of exile in some ways, right? Just, it, it, it is very similar. B'nai Delaya, B'nai Tovia, B'nai Nikoda. They're primarily from those families. Sheish me'ot chamishim ushnayim, 652. Okay. So they also came back, but uh, their, their exact lineage was, was uh, unclear. Okay. Umi b'nei ha-kohanim. And there were also some Kohen families. B'nei Chavaya, b'nei Hakots, b'nei Barzilai, the children of Chavaya, the children of Hakots, the children of Barzilai. Asher lakach mi b'nos Barzilai hagiladi isha. So what does it mean? The children of Barzilai actually means normally families went by the father, but here this is a family that they were the children of people that married the daughters of Barzilai Hagiladi. But since he was such a prominent figure, they were, they were known as, as his descendants. They're called by his name. Now, so I saw some, a very interesting interpretation. Some say, like I just said, that they were known by the mother's father because he was such a prestigious person. But some say, and I guess, why were they known after the mother, the mother's side? 
Non-Jews. Right, either they are married to non-Jews or it was unclear who the, who, it was a little unclear. Okay, and again, especially because we're gonna see these are gonna be the Kohanim who also were of questionable um, uh, lineage. So, so it could go either way. This, oh, this puzzle could really be the, like a compliment if they were from this prestigious family or it could be, no, it's actually sort of saying, so, so we know who their mothers were. We're not 100% sure who their so fathers they're were. Right, this list is gonna be people who it seems like we know, we're confident that it seems like that they're Jewish, but just that are they Kohanim or not? And are they, are they even if they come from Kohanim, maybe someone married someone that a Kohen is not allowed to marry, and so then the children would no longer, um, you know, be suitable to work at the base of Megdash or whatever other halachas. So, Ela Bikshuk Savam Hamit Yachsim, they asked for their um, uh, documents of lineage, and they couldn't produce anything. Again, they couldn't, uh, all the other Kohanim apparently could trace their lineage. I'm the son of the son of the son of the son of whatever this person, you know, back to however far they need to go. But these people, they, they didn't know. And so they were rejected from the kahuna. Okay, at least partially. Vayomer ha tirshasa lahem. Tirshasa seems to be like a Persian word, which basically means like governor. Okay, so the governor, Nechemia will be known as Nechemia ha tirshasa. Maybe this is Nechemia, or some say it would, maybe it makes more sense. It's, um, who did we have earlier? Zerubavel, Rabbi Zerubavel. So, so the ruler said to them, Asher lo yochlu mi kodesh hakadashim, you're not allowed to eat from the holiest of things, meaning from sacrifices. Ad amod kohen until we'll have the kohen gadol with the breastplate, and we could, uh, you know, verify everything and make sure that that you're really kohen. Because either through some ruach hakodesh they could verify it, or it just means, you know, what, like we say, like when Mashiach comes, we'll, uh, you know, exactly. No, they didn't. They, yeah, they, they. Yeah, exactly. Now they didn't. They didn't know. You know, this is even before that. They, this is even before they've even rebuilt anything. Yeah. Yeah, I know your story. I'm going to tell the story. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so, okay. So, so, so the Gemara says that it sounds like they weren't totally rejected from being Kohan. He said, you're not allowed to eat from the karbanos, which is like the, you know, the, the holiest thing. So the Gemara says that they weren't allowed to be given parts of the karbanos when they would eventually start offering karbanos, but they could eat truma. Truma means what's separated from produce that's grown. Now the Gemara has a machlokas, so they were allowed to eat truma. Were they only allowed to eat truma that was only truma on a rabbinic level, but on a Torah level wouldn't have really been truma and there wasn't a requirement to separate truma? Or could they even eat the real thing, the real truma on a Torah level? Now, if they could eat truma even on a Torah level, then it's clear that we actually really thought probably they are Kohanim. So really, they can, they can eat truma even. And it was a stringency since there's some question We'd, we'd rather them not being the ones working in the base of Mikdash, but it was really a stringency. But if you hold that, like the Gemara says, that um, they weren't even allowed to eat truma on a Torah level, then at least one could understand that it was really, there really was a doubt, like a suffix, 50-50. So for rabbinic law, we can be lenient. For Torah law, uh, we have to be strict. So on that note, let's see the last source we have on the other sheet. 
This is from the Rambam. So the Gemara understands that this rule, that if you can't produce your, your lineage, you can't work on a basic English, it wasn't a one-time thing. That Ezra or, or Zerubbabel, that was, that was when they made the rabbinic law to work in the base of Migdash forever, you need to prove that you're a Kohen. Okay, so, so let's, let's, see, let's, see, let's see the Rambam. Well, it, it, when the base of Migdash still stood, you know, you, your father worked in the base of, you know, worked in the base of Migdash, so if ever knew you were the son of so-and-so, then, then, um, then that's how you would prove when the base of Migdash was still around before there's any sort of exile. Okay, so the Rambam writes as follows. Kol kohanim bezman hazeh, all kohanim nowadays, bechazaka him kohanim. They're kohanim by presumption, meaning they've always claimed to be kohanim, we've always treated them to be kohanim, but we don't really have proof that they're kohanim. Ve'en ochlim ele bekadshe hagavul, they can only eat holy items beyond the base of Megdash, meaning things like truma. V'hushit yet truma shel divrayim, but it can only be rabbinic truma. About truma shel Torah, v'chala shel Torah, but truma on a Torah level, or chala separated from dough on a Torah level. Ein ochel osa ela koin miyuchas. Only a pedigreed, that's a good rising, only a pedigreed koin can eat. Ezu koin miyuchas, what's a pedigreed koin? Kol shehe idulo shnei edim, two witnesses testify. Shehu koin ben ploni ha koin, uploni ben ploni ha koin, ad ish. We know that he is a descendant of someone who is certainly a Kohen. How do you know if he was certainly a Kohen? He served in the base of Mikdash. Because we know they would never let anyone serve in the base of Mikdash unless they'd really looked into it and made sure they were for sure a Kohen. So nowadays, I mean, that's, that's, that's basically impossible. Ram later writes, when Mashiach comes, they'll somehow figure out it. I see that. Uh, okay, okay. Rabbi? So really, the Kohanim, uh, I mean, we give, we have, we honor Kohanim. Yeah, so, okay, so let me talk about that. So, so well, let me, let me yeah. pitch it then. I mean, I yeah, yeah, to, exactly. Uh, so, let me, that's yeah. exactly what I So, so uh, people seem to understand that, that at least when the Rambam was writing, he was saying that Kohen nowadays, really, there's a Chazaka, they are Kohanim. That's the Torah in general. We're allowed to follow you know, you know, uh, a reasonable presumption if there's no specific reason to doubt it. So really, Kohanim nowadays, you know, push comes to shove, the Torah says you're allowed to trust that they're Kohanim. But we, in terms of uh, eating holy foods, so there the Chachamim had a stringency, um, uh, only a pedigree Kohen that can prove that he's a Kohen um, should do that. As we've, we're now almost a thousand years after the Rambam, so there are later discussions. To what degree are we confident that our Kohanim are Kohanim? So some seem to write, we, there really is some doubt. I mean, you're, you, you know, really that, A, that it's really the Kohen, the son of a Kohen, son of a Kohen, and that no one married anyone that they weren't allowed to marry. That's, you know, there's a lot of ways things could go wrong. But others write that no, if, if uh, you know, we assume if something happened, then, uh, you know, they would have done whatever they were supposed to do. If a person at some point is not supposed to get the coin Aliyah anymore, then he'll stop getting the coin Aliyah and, and, and we'll know. And uh, we should assume everyone who's, 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 uh, who's considered a coin, 
you know, uh, is a calling unless there's some specific proof or, or doubt to assume otherwise. And push comes to shove, there are two areas that we still, even nowadays, seem to assume that our Kohanim are Kohanim on a Torah level. That is one, Berchas Kohanim Duchani. There's a positive mitzvah for a Kohanim to give a bracha to the people, but it's also forbidden on a Torah level for a non-Kohen to give the bracha. And we let our Kohanim go up and, and, and give the bracha, even though if there wouldn't be a Kohen again, it would be a violation of the Torah on a Torah level. So we seem to rely on our traditions. And the other one is Pedion Haben, that uh, when you have to give uh, the five slime, the five shkalim for a firstborn uh, son to a Kohen, that's a Torah mitzvah. And we say, you know, uh, find, you find a Kohen and you're allowed to assume he's a Kohen and you give it to him and you're done. So, so what the story is, there are some people who are stringent and actually would, would do Pidyon Haben multiple times, like to every coin they would ever meet. Maybe <laughs> that's oh the, is that, is that really? So there's a story that the Vilnagon himself, the Vilnagon himself was a Bechor. So normally the parent fulfills the mitzvah for the child, but if for some reason a parent doesn't, the, the Bechor is himself obligated to give five shkalim to a coin. So the Vilnagon, the way the story is, is retold, is that uh, he was worried that... Um, you know, uh, you know, there are some doubts in, in terms of the Kohanim that uh, his five shkalim were given to. So as an adult, when every new Kohen he would meet, he would give, um, uh, he would give the five shkalim until, do you remember, I'm not sure, and then until there's one Kohen that he felt confident. Do you remember how the story ends? Rappaport, yeah, like that, that there was some Masora that that's, that is for sure Kohanim. So, uh, so then he was satisfied, and then he stopped. I saw, I saw at Harvard Hillel there was a pigeon at Ben that I went to, and the Kohen said to start. He said, "I'm a Kohen," you know. Yeah, I think that's part of he the. He says, uh, "Like I am a Kohen." So. Yeah, part of it. That's that he that yeah you need to be a Kohen. Okay, okay. So let's finish up the parak now. Not a whole lot left. At one point I was going to say, something that struck me last time we were speaking about parallels between um, the Jews returning to Israel from Bavel and Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that uh, the same lush of Pakod Pakad, and they're returning with wealth. So also a parallel that struck me, it's not exactly the same thing, but again, you have sort of like the main body of the Jewish people, and then there are these sort of other questionable groups that are sort of... <laughs> tagging along and uh it seems parallel a little bit to the arab rob a little bit i'm not sure what to do with that but uh, i don't know just something that uh that struck me okay so let's see the last psukim samach dalad we're up to kol hakahal kechad and everyone together arba ribo alpayim 42,000 shlosh shishim 42,360 Milvad Avdeyam Amosayim, besides for their slaves, Eila, Shivat Alafim Shloshmiot Shloshim Bishiva, 7,337. And also they had some singers, whatever that, 200 singers. I don't think those are living in, those are just like, I don't know, entertainers. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Now, now so just think about those numbers. It's not a lot, right? It's, they had 42,000 people and 7,000 slaves. So it means there was one slave servant, whatever you want to call it, per, you know, exactly per six people. So, and I assume there are some really rich people who had a few servants, 
right? So um, let's just round up to the eight. So seven out of eight people didn't have any sort of servant. And one out of eight people had one or two servants, just to sort of get a sense of, you know, you know. so this is definitely not, it's not the upper, it's not the richest people, I'm sure, of, of the Jewish people of Bobo. It's, it's, it's for sure not. How many Jews were there in Bobo at this point? I'm not sure. Hundreds of thousands? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you know how many were exiled? I don't know if we, I mean, I don't think there are numbers in Navi anywhere. We can do, that would be a good research. Uh, if anyone can look into that and find out, seriously. The assumption is the majority did not go back. That for sure is the assumption. Um, and so there's, it says there's 42,000 um, going back. Right. I read somewhere that, that those 42,000 were the lower echelons of the economic Yeah, we're gonna see even more as, as the, the not, it's gonna talk about that, yeah. Because the people who were comfortable, they were comfortable. In, in, in Bavel. So, you know, they were they had less reason to go back. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. To plant trees. These are non, I, these are non, Evan Kanani, they're non-Jewish slaves, yeah. Uh, then we'll just see the animal count. Susehem shva meyot shloshim shiva, 700 and so horses. Pirdehem matayim arbaim v'chamisha, 200 and so mules. Gmalehem arba meyot shloshim v'chamisha, Four and so camels. So up until again, this is not this is not a lot. Think about this: seven hundred horses for forty-two thousand people, right? You know, it's one horse per whatever that is, fifty people or so. Then donkeys, though they had a fair amount. Chamorim sheishet alafim, six thousand donkeys. But even then, it's one donkey per per six or seven people. So everyone is just carrying their stuff, right? I mean, um, most people. Yeah. Or they're slave, yeah. but but uh, but even still, I'm saying there there isn't there even if you add up the animals and slaves, there isn't enough per right. So a lot of people are are still carrying their stuff. They didn't ride horses like the, you know later. You know, they, it wasn't common for everybody to ride a horse. Yeah, I know, but it's I mean it's far walk. I mean they're going uh, from Iraq to Israel. And, and, you know, uh, How much did it cost to travel back? Well, how did the Jewish people go I mean, I mean, you, I mean we, in the first paragraph, it talks about that, you know, and everyone should give money to these people to help them make the trip. Even if you're not going to go, you, they, you know, you, you should help them give them money. So it definitely, definitely costs a lot. Doesn't it say when we studied the first Herod uh, that the king, uh, Cyrus, that had the silly and he gave them everything they needed, to make the trip, and he, even the people who were reluctant to go. Well, he, he said he told the pe the people, the other Jews, you should, even if people are reluctant, give them, help them, you know. Yeah, I mean, is that like monetarily? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure, I mean, it's monetarily. So, yeah, so, yeah, but yeah. he didn't like outfit them or anything? I mean, I'm sure he helped them, but I'm sure it was still difficult, so, right. I would assume. Um, one last point, it's getting late. The Rashi already points out this number, 42,000, doesn't match all of these numbers, if you add them up. So it's like, it's like 10,000 short. So Rashi says, it's because this was Yehuda and the primary bulk was Yehuda. And then you had all small amounts of all the tribes there, even after the 10 tribes were exiled, there were small pockets of all those tribes who stuck around Yushalayim. And so the last 10,000, that was, it was too scattered, too, too many just small numbers. So they didn't get listed sort of with their own name. So that's what Rashi says. Others say, 
that maybe there, it means there were 10,000 people, like you said, Philippe, still in Israel, yeah. meaning who never left. And so let, then let's say 30,000 come, that's listed. And then it's saying, and then the first, you know, when, when they arrived, the community was 40,000 people, 30,000 who came and 10,000 um, who were there. Okay, let me just read the last few psukim so we can say we read the whole pair. And then if people want to stay around and ask more, that, that's fine. Or whoever uh, uh, wants to go home will uh, give them the opportunity. Nor Havot, continuing. And of the leaders, and then they got there, they traveled, they got there. The leaders donated money, as much as they could, to the storehouse, meaning for the materials of when they would begin building. Zahav Darkemonim Sheshriboot the LF uh, sixty-one thousand golden coins, the Kesef Manim Khameshit Alafim five thousand silver pieces, the Katnot Kohanim Maya hundred fine tunics for the Kohanim to wear. Vayeshvu Hakoanim Vahalavim Umin Haam Bahameshoarim Vahashoarim Vahanitinim. And the Kohanim, the Levim, the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nitzinim, they all settled Ba'arihem in their cities, B'chol Yisrael Ba'arihem, and all the Jewish people in all of their respective cities and towns. Were these cities still standing? Weren't there people living Maybe. in those dwellings? I mean, the South Bronx, you know, it's like, it's I wonder also how they established titles or, you know, ownership and... Uh, yeah. These are all the questions that we're going to see. They're fights. They're, there are going to be fights with the, the other nations who are living in the area. So there definitely was friction. Um, you know, other specifically out of yeah, other nations. They're not introducing with the Jews. Like, uh, I mean, it's a really great, Laura has a great question. I mean, these buildings, were these vacant, you know? It's a, it's a great question. I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure. Yeah, from Palestinians in those days, though. Well, when the Jews in Europe went back to their hometown, they had taken over there. Yeah. They didn't get them back. Well, presumably, I mean, they had really relatively recently left Eretz Israel. About 50 years. So they should know. Oh, that's my street. That's my home. Yeah, they definitely did know. They definitely, yeah. But squatters? But the the question is, had other people taken it over? Plus, they were forced to be exiled, right? Imagine a lot of these cities were destroyed. I'm sure some of them were destroyed, yeah. <laughs> so maybe, they, right, some of them, I'm sure they were rebuilding. But even in the aftermath of, of the Shoah, there were people who came back from the camps to their homes just to find people living in their old homes. Yeah. And yeah. that was a shorter time. Four years. Yeah, much, yeah, exactly. Okay, so l- we'll have to continue learning. And hopefully, we'll see. Maybe we can answer some of these questions as we continue. They live separately, the Kohanim and They say that the Kohanim live in their cities and Israel. So again, there were these Levium and Kohanim cities. Um, so were they not allowed to like? I don't think they weren't allowed, but um, okay. you know that's just sort of way you know they were. That's how like they lived back then, sort of like by ancestral land, by clans, by uh, you know the Shvatim were also like that, right? Like. Uh, yeah, they so people sort of seem lived kind of with their by family. Well, the, 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 the cities of the Levium, I think, were established at the time that, that, that they, they conquered the land, yeah, they entered and yeah, lived there. Those were established, 
So, and, and then the, the R.A. Miklod were also cities of Levium. So presumably yeah. Levium had rights to those cities and the lands around them. I think the rule that they could never be sold, uh, you know, permanently. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Konim cities, we heard, we learn about them, you know, unfortunately. On, on Tishabov, yeah, they're Kinos that list the Konim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Own, but no, you know, all, the, all those cities were Konim cities. So presumably they went back to their Konim city. There must have been a huge legal, you know, turmoil there. Or, they do bring lawyers, interestingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're just unless lawyers. And they <laughs> see all the ambulances. Yeah. yeah. No, we're the, we're there. Uh, it'd be interesting. Or maybe, maybe the maybe the coin mm -hmm. will be that was their task. Maybe adjudicating a lot of cases. Yeah. <laughs> and they had to figure out somehow. So it's also interesting is the second parrot has seven sukim. Last yes, last time we spoke about the number seven. Right, so, uh, right. So there were seventy years of exile, seventy psukim discussing uh, the uh, the people who went went back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there is something to it. Yeah. Yeah. Forty-two thousand went back. Forty-two. Really? I didn't say that. There's there's <laughs> correspondences everywhere you look. You know, familiar with what the you know what the Torah said, or what or what, what you know. What, there is a prophecy yeah, that they would return. The yeah. No, it seems like it, it seems like uh, according to the way the the way Paragolf presented it sounded like uh, I'm not sure about the seventy, but it was he knew that. Well, actually, we saw some understand that he that yeah he was to some degree acting on uh, the prophecy. They said we have a tradition. We're going. We're supposed to go back. Heard it from his grandmother. And the temple was rebuilt. The second temple was rebuilt seventy years. After the first one was destroyed, correct. Yeah. Yes, eighteen yeah. years or so to get to that point, but but yeah, that's correct. From the beginning of the return. Right? Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone, for coming so much. Oh, uh, so next week, I feel that way. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be away, so I'm sorry, we're gonna miss again. But uh, two weeks from tonight. Okay.